This morning, God's Word comes to us from Genesis 19. Genesis 19. We're going to read the first 29 verses of this chapter. Genesis 19, beginning at verse 1. What we hear now is God's word. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the man at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now he will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and struck and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great. So they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place? For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up! Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the man seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, O no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape here, is it not a little one? 
and my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city is called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife be, uh, behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the city in which Lot had lived. And here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of your Trinity Psalter hymnals to page 859 in the back section. This is the Belgic Confession of Faith, and this morning we read once again Article 12, which is entitled, The Creation of All Things. Reading from page 859, Article 12. We believe that the Father created heaven and earth and all other creatures from nothing when it seemed good to him by his word, that is to say, by his Son. He has given all creatures their being, form, and appearance, and their various functions to, for serving their Creator. Even now, He also sustains and governs them all, according to His eternal providence and by His infinite power, that they may serve man, in order that man may serve God. He has also created the angels good, that they might be His messengers and serve His elect. Some of them have fallen from the excellence in which God created them into eternal perdition, and the others having persisted and remained in their original state by the grace of God. The devils and evil spirits are so corrupt that they are enemies of God and of everything good. They lie in wait for the church and every member of it like thieves with all their power to destroy and spoil everything by their deceptions. So then, by their own wickedness, they are condemned to everlasting damnation, daily awaiting their torments. For that reason, we detest the error of the Sadducees, who deny that there are spirits and angels, and also the error of the Manichaeans, who say that devils originated by themselves, being evil by nature, without having been corrupted. This is our confession of faith. Well, we noted last week, as we looked at Article 12 of the Belgic Confession regarding the creation of all things, that the confession is a product of its time. I said that I, I thought that if we were writing a confession today, and an article in that confession about creation of all things, we would spend a lot of time talking about the nature of the creation of the world around us, 
The way that God did that, how long it took God to do that, the length of the days in doing that, those are things that occupy our minds. That was not the occupation when the confession was written. Uh, They were more concerned about the, the nature, the creation of the angels and of the devils, concerned about the spirit world. And while it's true the confession is a product of his time, that topic of the spirit world still is applicable for us today. There's a lot of speculation about the nature of the spirit world, the nature of angels and devils. The whole New Age movement is concerned with spirituality, the New Age movement, which is really just old paganism rebranded. Even in the church, we hear about power encounters. Uh, how How do we understand the nature of the spirit world today? Well, there are some who would just deny that the spirit world exists. The only thing that is real are the things that we can see around us. So there really is no spirit world at all. There are some who would acknowledge that there is a spirit world, but would choose to ignore it. And to say that that whatever happens in the spiritual realm is unrelated to our activities today. There are those who might, on the opposite end of the spectrum, not ignore the topic of the spirit world, but but highlight the spirit world and see the work of angels and devils in everything that we see around us, giving giving the responsibility for actions that happen uh, not to us, but to the angels or to the devils. I had a woman uh, come to my study one time many years ago. She had not been um, very faithful in properly disciplining her son. And as a result, uh, the son grew up to be a very disobedient uh, young man. And I recall her coming to my study uh, with her son, uh, who had been very, very disrespectful to her. He was about nine or ten years old at the time. And and she said, Reverend Niemeyer, uh, my son has a demon because he's acting this way. Well, we talked about the nature of demons, but also about our responsibility to raise our children and his responsibility to properly acknowledge his mother. There are those who would, who would credit angels and demons with everything that we see around us. How do we think about these things biblically? What does the Bible have to say about the spirit world? about angels and about demons. But we'd have to say there's not a lot of information in the scriptures. We're gonna look at at Genesis chapter 19 this morning. I I wanna say not so much to, to unpack the story as it unfolds, but to see how the angels act in this story to get a a glimpse of a proper understanding, a biblical understanding 
of what the role of spirits is in our life today. We begin by talking about angels. And children, I have to say something very, very plain and very, very simple, but it's very, very important. Angels are created. Angels are a created being. They're not the same as God. God is eternal. Angels are created. Now, we don't know exactly when they were created. We don't have that stated explicitly in Scripture. But we know that it was before the end of the first week of creation. Because we read in the creation account that on the seventh day, God rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So, so before the end of that first week, the angels had been created. And the, the creation story tells us, and God saw what he had made, and it was good. So we know that the angels, being a created being, were created good, which is why our confession says uh, we deny uh, the error of the Manichaeans who say that they, they origin the devils originate by themselves being evil by nature without having been corrupted. No, angels, spirits were created good. They are creatures. We know from Colossians 1, uh, angels are invisible. They are, they are, they are non-physical. They are non-corporeal. Uh, they are spirits. As such, uh, many of them can occupy a small space. Uh, we learn that from, from uh, Luke chapter 8, Jesus' interaction with a man who calls himself legion, a demon-possessed man, legion, because there are many here. They are non-corporeal, non-physical, but they can take on human form. And that's what we have in our story this morning. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate. They took on human form, and they came to speak to Lot. We know from other texts in Scripture, angels are not married, nor are they given in marriage. They are created, they are non-corporeal, they are not married or given in marriage. And that's about all we know. That's about all, all God has revealed to us about angels. But because we know those things, we do know more about them. As creatures, they are limited. Angels as creatures are limited. They are limited in their knowledge. Angels do not know everything. In fact, uh, in Matthew 24, speaking of the, the end of all things, uh, we read, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven. Angels don't know everything. When reflecting on the glories of God's salvation for a fallen people, 1 Peter says, it is into these things angels long to look. They long to know more because they don't know everything. They are limited. Limited in their knowledge, 
limited in their power. They can only do what God allows them to do. And we see that in our story this morning in verse 22, when, uh, when the angels tell Lot to run, to escape. Verse 22, escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. God had determined that he was going to uh, save Lot, and the angels were bound by that will of God. They could only do what God allowed them to do. They could not bring down the fire and the brimstone because Lot was still there. They are limited. Created, limited in knowledge, in power. As such, angels are not to be worshipped. We don't worship the angels because they are created beings. What are they created to do? Well, what does our confession tell us? He also created the angels good, that they might be his messengers and serve the elect. Angels are messengers. And that's what we see going on in our story. This story actually begins back in Genesis 18, where uh, the Lord and the angels come and speak to Abraham and tell, uh, have a conversation with him, and then Abraham ends up bartering with God about how many would be left in, in Sodom and Gomorrah, and the angels go on and they speak then to Lot. They are messengers, messengers to Abraham, messengers to Lot. In verse 13, they come with this message, we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. They come with a message to save Lot. They come with a message that will lead, lead to his salvation. And that's often what angels do. They come with a message about salvation. Think about children even in the birth of Jesus. When the Old Testament ends, and we have the prophecy of Malachi, after that, there are 400 years of prophetic silence. And we don't read about any angels coming and talking to God's people, but, but just before Jesus comes, now we have the angels showing up again. The angels come to, describe, to, uh, to uh, announce the birth of John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner to Jesus. They go to Zechariah. The angels come and speak to Mary and speak to Joseph. The angels come and announce the coming of Jesus to the shepherds. And behold, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Angels come as messengers, often messengers of a coming salvation. They would announce the birth of Jesus Christ. Our confession says they are messengers and they are to serve the elect. They are servants of God's people. Servants sent to protect the people of God. And we see that in our story, not only in the warning that they give, 
But initially in that conflict between Lot and the men of the city, we read in verse 10, the man, the angels, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so they wore themselves out groping for the door. They, they, they pull Lot back in to protect him. Again, from verse 16, when Lot lingers, he's not getting ready to leave. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. They are there to protect, even physically grabbing Lot and his family and bringing them to protection. They are servants. They are ministers. They are protectors of the people of God. We see in the work of the angels God's mercy. God's mercy toward Lot and his family. They come to announce, they come to protect Lot that he might not be swept away in the destruction. It's wonderful to see that work in this story. But we have to say, the angels should not have been necessary. Lot is living in Sodom. Lot is living in this place of terrible wickedness. It should have been obvious to him. If Lot had only opened his eyes to see what was going on around him, the angels would not have been necessary. How do we apply a text like this today? My friends, we apply this text by saying, don't wait for the angels. If you are examining your life and seeing yourself living in sin, sin that will lead to destruction. Don't wait for the angels to come. God has given us His Word, a perfect revelation of His glorious plan of salvation. We should not need the angels to come and pull us out of Sodom. God's revealed to us path of righteousness. God's revealed to us punishments when we do not live according to His holy word. We need to open our eyes and see. Open our ears and hear. Don't wait for the angels. Live by the word of God. Not by the hope that angels will come and, and pull us out of, out of destruction at the very last minute. In fact, Paul says, even if, if we know the Word of God, and even if an angel comes to preach something else to us, stick with the Word of God. He's revealed so beautifully what is necessary in our walk with Him. Angels are messengers. Angels are servants of the elect. But in a story like Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels should not have had to come. Lot should have seen, Lot should have known, and we too as we look at our lives. There are angels and there are devils. And once again, we recognize that devils are created beings. 
They are created just like the angels, created by God. And we don't know exactly how it was that they ended up falling from that pristine position. It, it's referenced for us in the book of Jude, but not uh, terribly explicitly. In Jude 5, we read this. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Those angels left their original position, did not hold on to that, and as such are condemned for eternity. We don't know exactly when it happened, but we know what happened. The Bible tells us it took place. The devils have a leader, and that leader, kids, we refer to as Satan or as the devil. And again, I want to remind you, the devil is a created being. It is not as if we have Jesus on the one hand, who is the leader of the angels, and the devil on the other hand, who is the leader of the demons, and these two are equal ultimates. They are not. Jesus is the eternal Son of God, uncreated. The devil is a created being. And as such, he is limited. Limited in where he can be, limited in space. We sang this morning, God himself is with us, and God is with us today, and he's with the church down the street, and he's with the church across the country, and he's with the church around the globe. God is everywhere. He is omnipresent. Not so with the devil. He's not omnipresent. He is limited with regard to space. Helpful to understanding this is to read uh, the beginning of the book of Job. Uh, the, the, God says to Satan, what have you been doing? He says, I've been going to and fro throughout the earth. He doesn't say I'm omnipresent. I'm, I'm going to and fro. I'm going here and there. He is limited. Limited in space, limited in his knowledge. Why is he going to and fro? Because he doesn't know everything at once. He's going to and fro to learn different things. He's not omniscient like God is. And he's certainly limited in power. The power of Satan is limited by the will of God. I encourage you this afternoon once again to read the first couple chapters of Job and see that limit that God places on Satan. He can only do what God allows him to do. So yes, Satan is the leader of the demons, but, but don't give the devil more than he deserves. He is only 
a creature. He is limited by God, not able to do everything or know everything all at once. And yet, he, along with the demons, have a mission as well. The devils and the evil spirits are so corrupt that they are enemies of God and of everything good. They lie in wait for the church and every member of it like thieves with all their power to destroy and spoil everything by their deceptions. They are enemies of God. They are out to ruin the church. Satan uses deception. He is the father of lies. He makes that which is right seem wrong. He makes that which is wrong seem right. That is his tool. The great deceiver. Enemies of God and out to ruin the church. And while that is his mission, the devil is also foolish because he knows he has been defeated. He knows Jesus Christ has the victory. He knows the work of Christ on the cross and yet foolishly thinks somehow he can win. We are reminded that while the devil may be powerful, Jesus Christ is the victor. Jesus Christ wears the crown. He has the ultimate victory. It's important for us to, to think clearly about angels and about demons, devils. This story of Sodom and Gomorrah is the epitome of wickedness. It is the epitome of evil. We read some of the details and we are appalled at what we read. And, and in this story of, of, of terrible wickedness and evil, we see the angels come with a message to bring salvation, but what don't we see? We don't see the demons. We don't see the devils. We may not blame the devil for things which are our own fault. We may not use the devil as an excuse. The devil isn't referenced in this story of ultimate wickedness. The angels are, but not the demons. The men of Sodom and Gomorrah were responsible for their own choices. I know I'm uh, dating myself when I say something like this, but there was a, a comedian back about in the 70s or so who, uh, who used to say, the devil made me do it. Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. That was his tagline. Yes, the devil tempts. Yes, he tries, but we are still responsible for our sins. We don't blame the devil for our own sinful choices. We read this morning about the, the truth that we are children of God. That is what we are. And we are to walk 
by the Spirit of God. Knowing that, that, that Jesus Christ has the victory over sin and the devil. Knowing that, that when we are found in Him, greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. Yes, we might be afraid of the work of devils, but, but God, God is greater. God has the power. And, and we acknowledge, even when we, when we find ourselves following after the devil's ways, that is our own choice. Our own sin. And we confess that to God, and we turn to Him, and we know that by His grace, He does forgive all of our sins. He is the one who has, who has power over the works of the devil. And, and even, even sins we commit are not outside of His forgiving power as well. And so he calls us this morning. He calls us this morning to acknowledge our sins. Not to blame the demons, not to blame the devil, but to acknowledge our own sinful choices and to look to the victor, to look to Jesus Christ as the one who forgives us for all of our sins. Yes, we are still responsible. Notice in the Sodom and Gomorrah story when the fire and brimstone come. It is the people who are destroyed, not demons. God is a just judge. He will come in judgment against those people who have sinned against him. But we look to Jesus Christ and know the assurance of our salvation, the spirit world. It's important to think clearly. It's important to think biblically. We recognize there are angels and there are demons. We recognize they are created beings, the angels, to serve the elect of God, to, to, to point us toward Jesus Christ and salvation. The devil's out to destroy, but we know that Jesus Christ is more powerful. He secured the victory on the cross, a victory that even the devil himself knows took place. And in the final consummation of all things, every one of the elect brought into the presence of their Savior, while those who are outside are sent away forever. The spirit world, created, limited, but used by God to fulfill His purposes. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank You and we praise You for everything that your word reveals to us. And we ask that you would help us to be content with that revelation. When it comes, O oh God, to angels and demons and to the fall of the angels and to the work of Satan, there's much more we would like to know. But you've told us everything we need to know. Demons are limited. Satan is limited. And Jesus Christ is all-powerful victor. Lord God, help us to live in that wonderful reality, knowing that you work all things out to their perfect ends to bring you the most honor and the most glory. Lord God, hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.